0: is a bloody disgusting podcast network ginger's changing how do you feel? Wicked. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in from Los Angeles, California. Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone
1: D'Antonio. I'm Leo. I'm Lauren. I'm Trevor. And we are the Boo Crew. Welcome to episode 136.
2: Here's a Boo Crew Fright Fact. In 2015, the george romero found nine minutes of footage that had been lost from night of the living dead at the jump cut in the basement, including the largest zombie scene in the film.
1: This time around, you were joined by a guy who's done everything from starring in over 100 episodes of the BBC's soap opera phenomenon, EastEnders. He made his feature film debut playing opposite Sylvester Stallone in 1993's Cliffhanger. He's the most recognizable voice from the Call of Duty video game series. He's also done a bunch of horror films including Dead Cert, the award-winning Devil's Playground, Bob Keane's called classic creature flick Proteus from back in 1995. Bob also also did the special effects work in Waxwork, Nightbreed, Hellraiser 3, Candyman, smaller movies like the Star Wars series. Uh, actor Craig Fairbrass joins us to talk about his bloody crime flick with a massive twist, Villain, on VOD and Digital Now. First we
2: are joined by our good friend Chrissy Fox from the band Knee High Fox to jump into a good old fashioned round of horror homework.
3: Episode 136 starts now. This is Craig Fairbrass and you're listening to the one and only...
1: The Boo Crew dusts a fright flick off the shelf for Ah! Horror Homework. For this edition of Horror Homework, we are joined by Chrissy Fox of the band Knee High Fox. How are you doing, Chrissy? How are you guys? Good, good. (laughs) You've been up to... A lot of incredible things, including a new venture called One Fox, where you and Spider from Power Man 5000 have been making some incredible horror projects of your very own.
4: One Fox has been around for a minute, but we were originally using it more for our music videos. We were, we were uh, directing and creating a lot of our own music videos and for other bands as well. So we've been kind of playing with that for a while. And then this year kind of came around and we're like, you know what? We've had this idea for a long time. We started doing some short horror films. I recently wrote and directed one called What the Spell. And we started doing like the whole festival circuit thing. We've been learning a lot. And I think we're about ready to start doing our first feature, which is very exciting. And we've been just kind of growing it. And it's basically what well, we call it. is homegrown horror sci-fi. And uh, we've just been kind of just doing, creating things that we just, we like and we want to do. And so it's been really exciting. Just kind of growing the brand beyond music. So
1: yeah, we've had the pleasure of seeing a couple of the shorts you guys have been doing and they're so fucking good. It's so good.
2: It's so fun.
1: Like you said, there's a lot of festival activity. So it was like what Portland
4: this past, um, past week, actually we debuted at the Portland horror film festival, it was the world premiere for what the spell, but yeah, we've, we've had a lot of response already from festivals. That was the world premiere. We're also going to be at Austin after dark this year in September. We're also going to be at the international horror hotel, which is in Cleveland, I believe. And we have some more stuff coming up too. So it's, it's just been getting kind of such a crazy response that I didn't expect. This is a whole new world for me. So, you know, we submitted it and we didn't know how, you know, people would take it and it's been great. And so yeah, I'm super happy and it's been a great thing to grow from and learn from. So
1: how do the I mean, I'm not even familiar with how like these virtual horror fests and you know, film fests are actually working through COVID. How what is the process like?
4: This has been kind of crazy. It was it was kind of sad because you know, we we made these films and we're so excited and we're like, Oh my god, we got accepted into these festivals and we're gonna get to go to like the theater and like you know, we're gonna travel to some of these and And then all of a sudden, of course, the COVID thing happened and we were just like, oh, is everything just going to be canceled? Was it like and then, you know, there's certain festivals like Fantasia and Portland Horror where they started they created this really cool virtual model. So what they did is they basically if you bought a ticket for the whole festival, you could stream each night for 24 hours so you could watch it live. And then at the end of, say, the shorts block they do a and a live on zoom. So it's almost like you're just there. And then you get to, you ask live, ask the filmmakers questions through YouTube. And then, so after 24 hours, it's off. So like the, there's no piracy concerns and stuff like that. And, um, it's been really cool. And, and they have like little intros and they made it feel like a real experience, almost like you're going to a drive in or something like that. And I feel like, If you were to go to the um, festival, maybe you wouldn't see as many films. But we watched the entire festival. It was started on Wednesday and went through Sunday. And we're like, well, we're home. And, you know, we were so we we watched like everything. And it was so cool to see all of those horror films and all like these new upcoming directors. And it, it was just really neat. It was a cool experience. So not all of them are doing the virtual version. As of now, Austin After Dark is their Physically, you know, it's going to be in a theater. It's at the Alamo Draft House in Austin. And uh, I know the International Horror Hotel, they're also doing it live. So everyone's kind of doing a different thing. But a lot of the ones that are sooner, like right now, are doing a virtual version because it's, you know, you're not allowed to go to the theater. Or if you do, a lot of people probably
1: wouldn't. Can you give us a little plot synopsis of what the spell?
4: Well, basically there's this girl named Ryan and she gets a DM from a girl who goes to the gym that her and her boyfriend go to saying that, Hey, I fucked your boyfriend. (laughs) So she's devastated. She calls her best friend over. She doesn't know what to do. They get really, really drunk. They're just basically planning his like, just, just to destroy this guy. And They're like, they grew up in high school, like being crazy fans of the craft. So they're like, you know, let's put a spell on him and he's going to die. And so that's uh, what they do. Some drunken idiots. He comes over, they put a spell on him and it works. And they're just like, holy shit. You know, they're just drunk idiots thinking like not really thinking it through. And so they're like, oh, my God, like we can't murder somebody. This is going to ruin our life. So they try to find a spell to bring him back from the dead. Things just keep getting worse and worse, basically.
1: And then so you have a new idea for a feature that you're going to be working on as well.
4: Yeah. So the feature is it's actually an anthology. So because I enjoyed the process of making these this short films so much and because one fox has done other short films, it, it's kind of a different process because you have to like have this really kind of well-rounded story in a short period of time. It's almost more challenging I don't know. It, I, I got something from it. So I was like, you know, I want to do that, but I want to make a feature. So I wrote these five stories that basically these people manifest fear through this, the same creature that comes to them. And his name's Frank. And uh, basically it, it, they all tie together, but um, it's, it's a really scary story. And it's like a real monster movie. I really wanted to do something that was like, really like, Freaky and just like something that you're like, oh, my God, that's like my worst nightmare. I felt like what the spell was like this kind of gory, playful film. And I'm I'm like, okay, well, now I want to do something that's like really scary, that's really freaky and different. So that's that's the idea behind Frank.
1: And then musically, so Nehigh Fox, the last album Jawbreaker was the last release you guys did. What is going on with that? Are there still is there songwriting going on in the midst of all the quarantine lockdown business for that? Or what's yeah, happening? We've
4: been doing some writing. Um, we been, we were writing before that as well, and then of course, just like everybody else, everything just kind of went crazy. No one knew what the hell was going to happen, so we kind of halted. Um, but then you know, I've resumed since then. We're, we're still writing. I want to release. I don't know if it'll be an EP or a full length album. Hopefully by the end of the year, it would be nice. And then I've been obviously I co-write with other bands. So I've been doing a lot of that Um, in the meantime through Zoom. And yeah, I've been doing a ton of writing. So it's kept me pretty busy and, you know, just getting ready to hopefully start shooting Frank in August. So
1: that's awesome. And congratulations on History of Violence, the new single you wrote with Theory of a Dead Man. I get the fourth single they've had go to the billboard charts. And I believe you've co-written three of those four now.
4: Yeah. We've had three, I've had three number ones with them, which is crazy. That's yeah. I did actually like just realized that that's um, yeah, it's been pretty, a pretty crazy ride with that band because I feel like I'm almost sometimes like their fifth member I've written on almost every single record they've done. And we've had some, just some crazy ups and downs. And, but you know, I feel like, I hopefully will get to write with them for the rest of their career, because I I can't imagine missing out on a record at this point.
1: Sure. Sure. You're the good luck charm. It's amazing. All right, well, let's, uh, let's get into our horror homework this week. So uh, what we do is we go around the room and around uh, the World Wide Web here, all the way out to Leo in uh, beautiful downtown Eagle Rock. Eagle Rock. There he is, representing <laughs> <laughs> Eagle Rock. And uh, what we do is highlight a horror flick to each other and possibly even to you that we consider a must-see or perhaps worth a revisit. Tradition is starting with Mr. Leo.
4: Woo! Oh, better be good.
1: <laughs> what you got, man?
5: You know, I watched this movie because William Friedkin tweeted about it, like a few weeks ago. He's like, "I'm about to watch this movie called Actresses Confidential." So I made a note of it. I'm like, "I gotta check this out." What, you know, what is this about? You know, so it's a documentary. It's on Amazon Prime streaming. It's about a company called DragonFlix. It's about an hour long. Now it's a strange documentary because it just plays out into like two different parts. The first part is really about the reaction about the movie the exorcist 1973 when it was released so that part of it is really interesting because you know most of us were probably not around at that time we often forget that that movie was released the day after christmas day oh it and was
1: i didn't even know that
5: oh. yeah <laughs> and it's one of those things that that movie spawned lines like down the city blocks of hollywood like, for hours on end just to get a ticket for, like, a 4 p.m. showing. So people were in line, like, a 7 a.m. to get a ticket for a later showing. It was that crazy. Like, word of mouth just spread, you know. But the crazy thing about this documentary, which I had not seen, is they had all these reporters out there in Hollywood talking about, you know, this movie's making people throw up. You know, people are fainting, passing out. And it was, like, one of the Westwood, um, you know, the the Man Bruin theaters, one of those theaters, you know, where the uh, manager was saying, like, you know, for every screening, about an average of ten to twelve people pass out during the movie. <laughs> and I was thinking, oh, wow, that's crazy, man, because it's like that doesn't happen anymore, you know. And there, there's actually footage of people like stumbling out of out of the theater, like after the first twenty minutes or the first hour, and they're just like, I can't take it. And they just collapse, and you're like, holy shit, dude! <laughs> like, you know, we don't see that anymore because I think we're so desensitized. Ever since you know the whole 80s slasher torture porn movement, it's like I think we've seen it all, you know. So to freak somebody out, it's gonna take a lot more. But it's interesting in that sense because I've never seen all this reaction from people. Nineteen seventy three, reacting to a horror movie that people still, you know, call it many lists as the scariest film of all time. Now the second part of the the documentary is uh, simply William Friedkin, William Peter Blatty, the writer, and a priest, and they're sitting down and they're interviewing uh, each other basically about the movie and. You know, they're talking about the movie's themes and the philosophies and all that. And I, I've never seen that interview. And I think it's poorly restored because some of the audio you can't quite hear. So they put, they put a, like a screen, uh, what do you call a caption, you know? Yeah. So it, it fills in the blanks. And it's a really interesting uh, you know, conversation because I don't think that's ever been done since. Or, you know, it's like a one-time shot deal, you know, between the writer, director, and a priest. I thought that was really interesting. So it's worth checking out. Because this is stuff you're not going to see. Um, don't expect anything produced. This 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 thing's kind of like a mystery. It's almost as if somebody made a, you know, like a low-budget VHS version of it and just put it up there, you know? Like, there's no big production on this documentary at all. In fact, uh, if one of the things that I'm going to have to say is that some of the video is even shrunken down to a lesser, smaller size. But it's still interesting, because this is probably the only place you're going to see this footage, you know, from all these reporters covering the stories of, the movie's release. So definitely check it out if you're a fan of the movie, just to see what, you know, what horror was like in 1973. It's on Amazon Prime Video streaming right now. So
1: check it out. That's really cool. I'm racking my brain trying to think of movies recently or yeah, at least in the past like 10, 20 years that were released that kind of had some sort of cultural effect or bravado like that. And the only ones I could think of that come to my mind are the Blair Witch Project, obviously, that was right. like a huge. Is it real? Is it, you know, that was a huge thing. And um, right. probably what was it? Paranormal activity. Was that the one that was marketed yeah. with the night vision camera of the audience watching it? Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's a, pro- can you guys think of any other ones that are like, we're kind of, oh, you people are passing out or anything like that. It, like, does that ever happen? Well,
2: I remember people were saying that hereditary was so scary and like there was this whole facade. I mean, it is creepy as fuck.
1: But nobody was like passing out or crawling on, the, you know, out of the theater or anything like that. No. Maybe Cloverfield. People were like, I'm barfing because, you know, the shaky camera motion sickness seemed to be as close as we get
4: at the Portland Horror Film Festival. Actually, the producer from Blair Witch was on there just like as a guest. Then he was. Did you guys like talk to anybody from that movie when they like I had no idea they like filmed it and they literally put the cast out in the woods and gave them a GPS, and they would, like, there was no script. They would just stumble across, like, a note that would be a story point. Like, that is the cool. I'm, like, after I heard that, I was like, how do I come up with something like that that is, like, (laughs) that just seems, like, the funnest, but also the most terrifying thing to ever do.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, seriously, that that whole story fascinates me. That's, like, one of the greatest, as far as, you know, as I'm concerned, one of the greatest horror film experiences that i've ever had in in my lifetime anyway that could even come close to what it must have been like seeing the exorcist for the first time and maybe the reason maybe the reason it had that impact was movies like that like just so you said leo like over time we've seen it all and when exorcist came out there was really nothing that really depicted that on that scale before
5: yeah and not only that but i mean it still has a couple controversial scenes that no filmmaker will touch
1: that's true right like, even it. today right
5: yeah like yeah. are you really going to shoot a scene with a girl masturbating with a crucifix i mean come on you know like a
4: little girl yeah yeah, yeah. Like, right now pretty, right. pretty risque yeah
5: and that's the holds up it's what 45 40 some years
1: later you know chrissy we'll go to you
4: well it's funny this wasn't the movie i was going to talk about but I just thought about you guys. Remember the last one of the last times you were over at our house, and we watched that documentary that was called horror movie, a low budget nightmare. Yeah, <laughs>
1: we couldn't stay for the whole thing, but it was getting it was getting, getting to the so point where you was <laughs> starting to make it.
4: It is such okay. So this isn't the movie I, that I was going to talk about, and I'll I'll talk about the other one too. Yeah, yeah. But look, we watched the whole thing, and it was the it, I have to I cannot recommend it more. If you love horror movies, you have to see it. It's hilarious. But it's also just like, I don't, I, I can't even explain it. It was just like watching the process of this guy trying to make this film. And like, he flies like D. Wallace to Australia and she has no idea what she's coming into. He's like, his dad picks her up at the airport and <laughs> yeah. she shows up and it's like a like, couple of friends like filming this and she's like all, all, cooking dinner. It was just like the craziest movie. It blew my mind. And we just like loved it. So I really, really, really recommend any horror fan watching that movie it was like a total fluke that we watched that, yeah and we did half of it with you guys, but it was. You guys need to finish it too. It gets we better. Do. I mean, this is like it's it's so good. Yeah, I don't even
1: think they had started filming the actual movie when when we had to bail out of that one.
2: He was like running out of money, and I was like, oh shit. Yeah, he was going to ask to... people for
1: money and stuff, and yeah, D was already out there.
2: I had anxiety oh, for yeah, yeah. I was yeah, like, it was oh, shit. oh shit! Like, <laughs> like <laughs> I was in trouble it was for it, and like
4: it's like it, i don't want to give anything away but yeah. like he kind of like gets it to come together but you know it's like this low budget like it's just i don't know it's just fascinating and i just i love that movie so anyway leo made me think of that for some reason when he said documentary
2: <laughs> wait but, but, um, did you see the movie that he made no okay so that's like
4: on my like queue to like watch okay coming
2: up because it's called like
4: <laughs> Red Christmas, or something like that. It it left, but like I didn't want to watch it until I saw it finish that film. And then I've been meaning to watch it. So he actually
1: made the movie.
4: He actually made the movie. Wow. Yeah. And it's.
1: It's just, well. like, you feel
4: so invested in it. It's just, like, I well, don't yeah, know. Yeah,
1: because, like, the, I remember the story leading up to the point where we stopped watching. Like, the guy literally is, like, every cent that he had and then the money of other people. Like, he just kind he of...
4: Brother, he's like his, his whole dude. life, right? Like,
1: just thrown on the line for this one film. And I guess that's what... I may mean, have never made a horror film before, but that I guess that's the experience that, like, an indie filmmaker goes through, right? Yeah.
4: It is exactly what it is, but it's like, and this guy just like, but he was like, it's just my dream, but it was kind of just out of the blue. It wasn't like he was, he's like, oh, I've made a bunch of films. He was just yeah. like, I want to make a horror movie. And he just like, <laughs> did it. and it, it was just awesome. So yeah, I highly recommend that. It's coming up on 20 years in August, Ginger Snaps. And I've had that movie in my head lately a lot. So randomly this afternoon, I just watched it again. And I know a lot of people have seen it, but also a lot of people haven't. And Trev and I are from Canada. That's it's a right. Canadian film. Yeah. Um, actresses are from Vancouver. And I just I don't know. There's that movie still holds up. I I was the same age as the girls like when it came out. I think they were like 15, 16. And I was just like, this movie is so awesome and so like gross. And I, I just and I just loved how morbid the girls were. They're like obsessed with death and it, it had like a almost like a Harold and Maude thing where they're like doing like fake murder suicide, like photo shoots and stuff. And it was just, uh, I feel like that movie is something that like, it hasn't diminished over time. And it's been like 20 years. So, and it looks amazing. Like when is the last time you guys watched that movie?
1: God, I think like when it came out on home video, I remember seeing ginger snaps. Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah. And then they, was it yeah. the sequel the, how many seats? Was it just Ginger Snaps? There was three. One and two. I Which was a, There was one that took place like in the 1800s or something, right? Like one goes way back. Like- it might have been
4: the third one. I don't know. I know. I, you're right. Like there was like, they did something bizarre. But I feel like that first one, it was interesting. I was like curious about it. So I was I was reading about it. The two girls who ended up playing sisters. Yeah. They're both the same agency and they read for each other on tape for the audition and they just like loved their chemistry and they, they just booked them both for the part and I thought that was really cool too like that they just they were already good friends so they like could play sisters and they like did the audition together and then they both got the part and I thought that was kind of cool.
1: Oh wow. Cool. Lauren have you ever seen Ginger Snaps? No. It's it's, a, you would love it because yeah. it's not it would yeah. be like
4: a uh, Lauren no no you'd be like it, it's like a, I, I have a thing about I mean you know this when me girl movies like yeah from, like 90s like two, or beginning of 2000s like it's just like kind of an empowering without being empowering like just like they don't really give a fuck and they don't they're kind of like the weird outcast girls that you want to <laughs> hang out with like in the craft is it a christmas movie
1: christmas no. movie why would you think I'm that a- oh ginger <laughs> snaps no no
4: well, the girl's name's the ginger movie.
1: and she snaps
4: well yeah, so she, she gets, she gets her period uh, and she gets it late and she gets attacked by a werewolf that oh, night and damn. all of a sudden she starts changing and she uh, starts out with the werewolf eating the dogs in the neighborhood and she starts eating the boys in the neighborhood so
5: nice nice oh chrissy i was gonna say chrissy did you see uh tragedy girls
4: i haven't seen it yet i've been Check wanting it to good. watch it yeah okay i have, I have to watch it. I, I've, I've watched the trailer like four times and i'm like i have to watch this and it's funny even spider <laughs> recommended it to me it's like he's like this looks like something you'd really like. And I'm like, I know I've, I'm meaning to watch it. So it's really good. That's good to know. Yeah.
1: Excited. All right. Well, Lauren and I, we ended up seeing one from 2015 written and directed by this guy, Ted Gagin, whose other credits include 2008's Don't Wake the Dead, 2017's Mohawk. And he also co-wrote Chelsea Stardust, Satanic Panic alongside Grady Hendrix. This one stars genre favorites Barbara Crampton, uh, Larry Fessington, the guy behind Glass Eye Picks that ended up producing all those great Thai West movies like House of the Devil and The Roost and uh, what's the one I'm not thinking of, Innkeepers, and um, Andrew uh, Sensenig and Lisa Marie. And it premiered at South by Southwest, March 15th, 2015. It is called We Are Still Here. Yeah, it was so, so good. Produced by Travis Stevens, who we've had on the show. He did um, Girl on the the Third third floor. Floor. Leo, have you seen it? We were still here? Yes. What'd you think? Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. I don't want to reveal what it's about,
5: but I thought it was a pretty unique take on, on what it's about. Chris, have you seen it?
4: No, I, 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 once again, I think it's one of those ones I've watched the trailer like 10 times and I've been meaning to watch it. It's an, I love to hear that. It's actually really good. Yeah, so It's that's
1: super, great. super good. It's like we started off, you know what, whenever we do horror homework, what we end up doing is you hit up Netflix or you hit up shutter or whatever. And you just kind of look around. It's like going to a video store again, you make judgments off box art and stuff. And we've so many times to start watching it. Turn something off 15 minutes in and you know, right? Sometimes you just know if it's going to be worth your time or whatever. And uh, we went through a few until we found this and it was just like, okay, we're in. This This is worth sticking around for. And indeed, I mean, it was. And to give just a brief plot synopsis without giving really anything away. Two grieving parents move into an old house in a small town in the middle of nowhere. It's snowing outside. The house was built in the 1800s. They begin to be visited by people who live in the town who act strange around the house. The couple goes out for dinner. Everybody's looking at the oh, they bought the house. They slowly kind of the mysteries of this house reveals themselves to the new owners. Things get crazy. Things get gory. The gore is intense. Yep. It's real. They don't skimp on the gore. It's very, yeah. very crazy. Hard to look at some of it. Yeah, Some great jump scares. It starts off really slowly. It takes us time with a lot of stuff like, you know, things happening off camera, things like a picture falling over. You know, these kind of a door opening by itself, maybe. And it just slowly builds into absolute chaos. So you're you're in the story. I mean, you really are in and you're, you're a part of the build and the character development is going crazy. Barbara Crampton is probably at the best I've ever seen her playing that kind of a grieving mother. She's going through a lot. She's super vulnerable. She always looks like she's about to break down in tears at any moment. And uh, her co-star, her husband, the guy who plays her husband, Andrew Sinsenik, he looks like someone who would be right at home in an Ari Aster film. He's got an unsettling, yeah. super clean cut, but in a very weird, off way. I loved watching him. And this film, to me, kind of was like Ty West meets Ari Aster had a really kind of weird vibe going through the whole thing where you, you don't quite know what's going to happen, but you know it's not going to be good.
2: <laughs> it was a really good movie and some facts about the movie. They have like the this 1970 era clothing and they got it from a local thrift shop. The makeup process took two hours to put on and an hour to remove. And uh, the role of Jacob Lewis was specifically written for Larry Fessenden.
1: Cool. Yeah, he's awesome. (gasps) He's like the indie Jack Nicholson.
2: What a compliment.
1: And apparently has great Christmas parties what we hear
4: yes well it'd be nice to be invited this year
1: wouldn't it be yeah, <laughs> yeah we talk about it often
4: we do <laughs> although who knows if there's going to be any christmas parties this right. year? right anyway.
1: christmas is canceled
2: oh yeah. my gosh yeah. don't say that i already have my cookie picked out for jen's party oh have you guys thought about what is going to happen with trick-or-treating this year you know,
1: yeah, we had that conversation today. Actually,
2: yeah, we
4: I
1: were thinking, thinking about that. Thinking
2: about,
4: I it know
1: that's
2: not movie talk, but I think about it all the time.
4: Yeah,
1: <laughs> I mean, it's like exactly what you should not be doing in a pandemic: going to strangers' houses, asking for things from their house.
4: Hey, you're gonna be and wearing then a mask, your hand in the bucket with all those other people doing the same thing, it's right? Like, no.
1: In groups yeah. of kids, but yeah, Lauren. To Lauren's point, everyone's supposed to be wearing a mask.
2: Okay, so you wear a mask. You're in a costume, and then like someone should be there each house. Should have someone with gloves on and they put the candy in your bag
1: that's see a lot I just, of
4: trust.
1: that's a lot of trust exactly that's, if you that's just think
2: like when you're a kid you get the candy you're like
4: walking you want to open it and eat it with your hands you're touching it's just like yeah. oh, God, oh i know mess.
1: it's yeah. a recipe for disaster especially when you add kids into the equation because they're not going to wait that's that's the one reason yeah. i'm not taking like we i don't want to take the kids to a restaurant right now even though a lot of restaurants are reopening and they have the social distancing I don't trust my kid to just walk in and put their hand on a menu or whatever and stick it in their mouth. I can't stop that. And it's just like it freaks me out.
2: I know. I know. I think like the scariest part is that Halloween won't be the Halloween that we know and love. Like I just love going to haunts like that is my favorite thing to do. Again, I didn't even know that about you. I thought you just <laughs> <skip Halloween. laughs> I fucking hate it, <laughs> but yeah. How do they
1: do? How do they do not? How do they do not scary farmer? They don't, you know, They're right? Like, like a bunch of people
4: versions of stuff. Like, that's not that you can't do that, this, yeah. it's not the same.
2: No, it's not. Maybe I'll get a chainsaw in the backyard and just let it go. and We can just pretend,
1: yeah. I'll get that smoke smell going, yeah. I'll get a
4: fog machine, and I'll run around with it and just
2: like chase people be awesome. yeah i'll put those like metal things on our kids knees <laughs> they oh, sliders, sliders. <laughs> they can slide
1: on the yeah spark everywhere yeah i don't know it's because it, this is around the time when all those mazes start getting constructed like june july yeah. is when they start doing it and usually by now we'd get some announcements and things and i weren't they talking about was it a you were asking me oh i'm so stoked what was they? what were the maze were they were was it a hill house maze
2: it might have been i'm gonna ask john snitzer he knows everything
1: Oh, he's the king of mazes yeah king of halloween yes. i
2: was just gonna say you should ask him like, yeah i on. think that's what it was
1: yeah i thought it was a hill house or something or Bly man or some one of the new mike flanagan projects <sighs> but yeah i just i don't know you know all i can hope for is a vaccine and that's that's the only thing right now that would make me feel any better about you i'm know. glad
4: i could come on here and just bum everybody <laughs> no no it's great
1: <laughs> Hey, we're thanks, Chrissy. <laughs> it's important. <laughs> this important. This is important conversation. Very important. We have to figure this out collectively. Yeah, exactly. we got to, well, to save Halloween. Christmas and what's more important than Christmas? Halloween.
4: Yeah.
1: So. The
0: Boo Crew will be right back. Evil has visited the Earth in many forms. Now it returns as the car. There was no driver in the car. There's nowhere to turn, no place to hide, no way to stop the car. But Universal rated PG parental guidance suggested
1: To me, last lasts way longer than Christmas, right? Christmas is like a month, right? Halloween starts in August. Yeah. Ends in November. I would say like September. Yeah. August.
4: What's going on August? August. Last yeah. year was mid August. It was getting. Was it?
1: I think, yeah. I swear, one of the mazes yeah. opened at the end of August. I might be completely off, but. Or,
4: or we were like, we were just like planning it at that point. So it was just like, okay, we got our tickets for this. This is how yeah. it's just, I don't know. It's a whole
1: right. Thing. Yeah.
2: I think that. August is when Home Goods gets their Halloween. Oh, stuff. like all yeah,
1: Home Goods and all those stores, like
2: Michaels.
1: Hey, at least we got streaming services and we're able to comb through right? tons of movies. And it is like, it is kind of like, like, like we said, it's kind of like going to the video store again. It's like an ample yeah. amount of decisions to be like everything's on there. You just kind of scroll through and make judgments based on what the cover art looks like.
4: Yeah, you guys have to try one of these like horror virtual horror film festivals because it's something like you. You, they've never really had this before and it's like you can see all these like m- under the radar movies it's really cool like I was super into it and I'm excited for it to watch some more like I know Fantasia's coming up like I'm, I, I want to do it like it's exciting
1: that sounds awesome yeah. and the fact that you don't like you know you're able to go and attend festivals that you'd never might not be able to go travel to that's true in ah. other ways and you can yeah. sit there in your right. home and enjoy them in the privacy and comfort of your own home that that is really really cool yeah. yeah.
4: And sometimes just being able to like, watch, Oh, like, cool. I watched five short horror films. You know, you can just like go through Sometimes it's hard to sit for a feature or two, but you can do that, you know, or you can, and then like watch the feature in the evening or whatever. It's just cool. It's just a cool thing.
1: I mean, off topic, I guess, but do are, are any of the Q and A's, like going live while movies are playing or anything like that? Is there any interactive portion while the movies are playing or is it all kind of staggered?
4: I can only speak for Portland. So That was the first one um, I've done, but it was like basically the the films would end and immediately as though, as if you were in the theater, the filmmakers would get on zoom and it would go live to YouTube. So you would, it'd be like you're watching it and you can ask questions live right after before the next, like say before say the feature started.
1: Oh, that's cool. And,
4: they, and then they do the same thing at the end of the feature. So it it was, yeah, it's more of like a, you could talk to the filmmaker and the actors and stuff like that,
1: which is cool. Oh, I love that. Another thing that's been making a resurgence is drive-ins.
2: Yeah. Which is cool.
4: Yeah, I'm excited very, about that. That's
1: very cool. Like
2: on our front lawn.
1: Oh yeah. We tried making one on the front lawn. We did.
2: How was that?
1: Uh, Dogs barking. <laughs> oh <laughs> Neighbor, neighbor's dog's barking oh god that's the thing
4: did the projector as well so i'm excited i want to try to do something like in the backyard it's uh, fun
1: as long as you don't have dogs barking or didn't you have yeah. a tuba guy you had a guy with a tuba
4: you know we haven't heard him in a while <laughs> but he he did he did show up recently once but like yeah he's been he's been quiet lately i think he's depressed.
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> i would trade you a dog for the tuba guy any day
4: what do i don't know, know? Oh, like yeah. when going, it's like nonstop for like three hours and he does the place the same thing over and over again it's not good like he's not good at it so
1: <laughs>
2: yeah.
4: i think
1: i would still i would still pick that over yelping dog any no, day no i don't know our neighbors built an outdoor kennel facing our bedroom window
2: Okay, I uh-huh. just feel bad no. for the dog.
1: Because- That's what I do. I feel bad cuz the dog's yelping. Like bring me the fuck inside, you morons. <laughs> and they oh. built a kennel. <laughs> Meaning and they they leave the dog like I'm not kidding, the dog is out all night. The That's day they put fat. the dog out in the kennel and close the door of the house and the dog is out there all night. So you'll be sleeping And then at 4.30 in the morning, you'll just wake up to, oh, God, what was that? Oh, it's the dog decided to bark because it smelt a skunk or whatever. And and then you try and go to sleep going, shit, any moment now, the dog will just howl.
4: You should show them ginger snaps and they'll bring their dog in. (laughs)
1: Yeah, right? (laughs) Holy (laughs) God.
4: That's amazing. It's unbelievable. So, yeah, it's like anxiety,
1: anxiety, because now I'm afraid to go to sleep because of that.
4: (laughs) Well, and you guys go to sleep at 4 a.m., so you just finally get sleep. (laughs) Yeah,
2: it's true.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Sound machines, earplugs. It's crazy. Now I just sound like an old crotchety man. All right, cool. Well, that sounds i think it's a wrap. Yeah. The boo crew. They want the
3: pub. Everything me and you have worked for, all the graph we've put in. It's all out of window. Gone. Someone done me. I don't care who it is. We'll go to work and we'll get it back.
0: Are you in trouble?
3: I had no choice. It had to be done. Let's stop playing games, eh? Why I'm far too shrewd to let a couple of woolly boys like you have me over. Please don't!
0: screen that's all we need another victim crawls onto the gurney for a boo crew autopsy
3: hello 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 greg can you hear us i can hear you awesome Uh, let me ask you something are you videoing or just picture or just sound just sound for this Okay, perfecto. I've done me hair, I've got makeup on, everything.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so sorry to let you down. You look beautiful, though.
3: i bleached me teeth, everything. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy studio is a legendary actor from TV and film, he played an unforgettable role in Rennie Harlan's action film Cliffhanger with Sylvester Stallone, John Lithgow, and Michael Rooker. The horror comedy Beyond Bedlam with Elizabeth Hurley in 1994 played Dan in over 100 episodes of the show EastEnders, which is a BBC phenomenon, earning over 189 awards. He went on to work on films like Patrick Lucier's White Noise 2, The Bank Job, Neil Jones' Deranged, and the hugely successful Rise of the Foot Soldier series, which earned him a National Film Award for Best Act. An honor he received once again for his work in Mark McQueen's London Heist in 2017. As a voice actor, he's voiced several lead characters in three award-winning Call of Duty Modern Warfare games, the most successful video game franchise of all time, Battlefield 5, Squadron 42, and more on the way. He brings extremely powerful, well-calculated, and poignant performances that feel incredibly real. Those elements really set him apart as a storyteller. And that's what makes him so unique. He gets to really get into your head and heart in a new film called Villain, available on VOD and digital now. We are honored to welcome Mr. Craig Fairbrass. Woo! Yeah!
3: that's what a feel like that was. I feel like I've paid someone to say that. But please say something, Jeff. This is the strange thing about life. Your timing today is fucking Beautiful. Because I woke up this morning and someone emailed me and went, Oh my God, have you seen The Hollywood Reporter? And I read the review in there and it just made me cry because I've waited 30 years to hear those words and the way. And then two hours after that, The New York Times, it was the critic's choice, the movie. Amazing. That's so so awesome. awesome. I'm just blown away by it. I mean, it's taken forever and a day to get to that point, but please carry on.
1: (laughs) Well, what you guys have done with this film is nothing short of incredible. It really is also such an unexpected surprise titled the way it is, and with the promotional artwork, there's such a cool misdirect that happens. And when you sit down and watch the film, emotionally, you kind of go through a similar experience of at the end of seeing a magic trick. It's just completely unexpected. What are your thoughts on that intent?
3: I say I love you because you're so fucking bright. That's why I married him. You're absolutely 1,000 million percent right. Surprise. That's the word I use because, I mean, I'm not being horrible, but... We're lucky that Saban picked it up. It's just a small British British movie. But it is a surprise, because I've said in countless interviews, please don't judge this film by the artwork. There's so much more going on, so much heart. It's a gripping little story, and anyone who watches it, has, I just fell in love with the film.
1: Well, when you start watching it, like you said, it pulls you in. And I know when you got the script, you read it in one sitting. You couldn't escape it. Can you explain how that did that to you?
3: Well, I worked with a producer, Bart Respoli, on a film 10 years ago called Devil's Playground, a really little cool zombie pandemic movie. Yeah, was amazing. Um, <laughs> and he said to me, listen, I've got this script. If you want to do it, you know, there's people willing to uh, to get this going. And if you say, if you fancy doing it, purely because of I've been working like a dog on these foot soldier movies to sort of position me in a place where financiers and distribution got comfortable with me as a leading guy doing these type of films. But then, you know, when I won Best Actor, at the National Film Award during 2018, so many more people came to me and said, you know, I know you do these big tough things, punching geezers up in the air and stamping on them and hitting them with fire extinguishers and stabbing them in the hand with forks. But we've noticed something about you that <laughs> you're not a bad actor. <laughs> <laughs> and that is what sort of opened up so I got offered of this other film I'm just I'm just regressing a little bit I got off, I got offered of another movie which I did about 16 months ago called Muscle it's a black and white art house movie it's about the toxic masculinity it's about the gym culture it's about a psycho personal trainer who takes over he's the guy he's training's life it's shot in black and white it's a beautiful film And the guy who directed that is a fellow called Jared Johnson who made this award-winning movie called Hyena. Very sort of subcultured. It's a a classic. And that started it. And then Bart said to me, look at villain, tell me what you think of it. And I was looking for something where the guy was a little bit more interesting, a little bit more vulnerable, a little bit more sensitive, had a little bit of a heart. And I just wanted to do something serious where I could show my chops as an actor because I know I've got it in me. And I read it, and it just fucking blew me away. I was like, oh my God. I've waited all my life since the days of watching Point Blank as a kid with my dad and watching the films like Shane and A History of Violence to, to, to be able to play a tough character, but someone who's got an Achilles heel, who's sensitive, and who's basically a nice, a nice guy, really, deep down, but he's just a fucking violent bastard when he gets pushed. Um, and that is what I what drew me to to playing Eddie in, in in *Villain*. It was just such a lovely, lovely story. You know what I mean? And, and I think that you actually like him from the first moment when you see him leave prison, and he turns round to you know, to the guard and says, "You know, take care of your family." You know, just those little nuances that make someone interesting and likable, and not just a one-dimensional. Terminator, do you know you know what, you yeah know what I mean? no
1: exactly and also in that script i wonder if you could talk about like the way the story unfolds is very poetic in a sense what do you love about the way that greg hall and george russo write
3: well that's a that's an absolutely beautiful fantastic question i gotta say because they're so clued up it's frightening i mean I'm, i've not I'm, i've known george for years george is george comes from a place called Oxton. H-O-X-T-O-N. It's a very, very, very rough part. It's one of the oldest parts of the East End of London. And um, he's got a handle on that world. He's brought up there. You can smell it, the authenticity of the dialogue. When I read it, I was like, oh, God, I ain't got to change anything on this. It was just so real. And Greg is a very, very intellectual, very sharp, astute structured f- scriptwriter. so the two of them together are a beautiful double act. Um, they, they just write quality. they've just written another script for me, which is just breathtaking and're we're, we're pushing it on the fast track and they're just very very they've got a handle on london and 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 that sort of subtle naturalistic realness that very few films can portray. I also
1: love the way they kind of leave, let the viewer fill in some of the blanks as well. And I think that speaks a lot on the poetry of the film. You don't really know why you've been in jail for 10 years. It doesn't really go into that. But, you you know, that's part of the beauty of experiencing it.
3: It doesn't matter, does it?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it really doesn't.
5: In this movie, you play such a raw, tough guy character. What was the specific motivation or direction given by director Philip Barantini for your character,
3: Eddie Franks? Well, the, the funny thing was, I'll be, I'll be brutally honest with you, I mean, when I, when I when I read that script, I was like, I can see this, but now we've got to find a director. And um, we watched loads of shorts, loads of little films, because, you know, at the end of the day, it's a low-budget film and you're looking for someone with energy, raw energy, who's passionate about film. And I watched a lot of shorts, and then right out of the blue, Bart Raspooly, the um, producer, he's a very smart young man, Got great taste. He said to me, have a look at this. And I watched it, and it moved me so much, the tone of this show. It's about mental health in a young boxer. And the music was beautiful. The color was beautiful. Everything about it was just real. And I I was just like, if we can get this guy to get that palette, that feel, that sensibility of that movie, we can somehow transfer it into villain. I think we could make a really good film. Um, and we sent a script to, to film. He, he, he responded exactly the same as me. He was like, oh my God, this is this is amazing. We met and he was on board and we got the same guys who did the music for the show who is, the, I think the music's breathtaking. You've got to remember something. It is, at the end of the day, it's a low budget little indie film. But I don't care whether you've got 50 fucking million quid or you've got 150 pounds. You know, it doesn't matter about that. If you get the right script, the right actors, the right people, you can make little gems. You really can. Good little films.
1: You're right. The film has a very unconventional sonic world as well. And those guys would be Aaron May and David Ridley, who you're talking about, who scored it. And they did this this incredible sound design and these really cool drones and, and, and different things that are very unexpected. And how do you feel like the sound of the film augments the piece?
3: I I think it's just a beautiful compliment every time I watch it you know for me sound I did a tweet the other day I was like you know some people forget you know how important the element of sound is in a movie it's so important and it it can be so easily overlooked but because I was integral to this piece and I you know had my say as much as I wanted to have without stepping on people's toes um, we was all on the same page it's you know, sometimes it works in unison. It's, it's like it's beautiful when everything comes together, like dovetails the music, the performances, the direction, the editing, the pace. And I remember watching it for the first time, and I, and I knew my gut instincts. I thought, you know, th- this is a good film. It's a quality little film. And I, I know that it's going to get appreciation. And it's like today with the Hollywood Reporter, the New York Times, the Time Out Here, the Guardian, all of the highbrow. Um, sophisticated news sheets, magazines, news outlets, they've all recognized that. And I must have had, I've got thousands of messages. And what's so refreshing is that the public, you know, audiences, us, the people I'm talking to, you, me, we all appreciate a good film. We really do, regardless of the budget.
2: I want to talk a little bit about the practical effects. Can you talk about working with them?
3: Well, if you notice, you know, I hate to say this, but it ain't an action film. Um, I mean, people, I don't want to disappoint them, but what we set out to do is, you know, my style of violence in the film, I like violence to be short, sharp, brutal, with impact, because that's how violence is in real life. It's not high-kicking for 10 minutes, knocking down walls. It ain't all that shit. It, it, It is when you're stabbed in the face as you're drinking your drink, you know what I mean? That is what goes on nowadays. I hate to say it, and it's a horrible thing to say, but we've got a lot of violence in London at the moment where knives are concerned and shit. It's, and it's around the world, but we try to make the components of violence in this film have an impact and have an impact with regard to the story. Um, so every every act of violence served a purpose within the film. It wasn't gratuitous. It wasn't there just for reason's sake, like you get in a lot of films. It, it just pops up. It was there, and it was bubbling. It was percolating in Eddie because he's obviously been keeping a lid on it for 10 years, trying to not be that man. But when he's pushed and belittled and and – there's only so much you can do. When I read the script, it just reminded me a history of violence and shame of those characters that don't want to really go back to they don't ever want to put that sheriff's badge on and that gun again. But there's certain things that happen where they where they're pushed and and I and I think that's what worked. When the violence comes in in, in, in Villain, it is disturbing and it's graphic and it's it's short, sharp and sweet.
1: It's true. It's very justified and it almost has a beauty yeah. to it in that extent as these more these moments are created, right? There's a build, build, build and then there's a violent endorphin release where yeah. we experience the violence, right?
3: Actually, a very funny line where it really says, listen, I know the vying of the nose is a bit strong, but... <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it worked. It, it really worked. Um, and I think the way they edited that but you flash back to it, and he's sitting there going, "Oh God, what have I done?" I wanted to
1: talk about your co-writer George, who plays your brother Sean, who's also a terrific actor with a lot of very intense emotional work that he does in this film. How does his performance and the way he acted tend to inform what you brought to a scene?
3: Well, we're very similar. We're very similar in our style of acting. We like we when we discuss this when we, we met up. I mean, George, he loves me. He. He likes my style of acting, and he knows that I like his style of acting. So when we went when we met up, I said to him, "Listen, mate, we're gonna fucking smash this, because we're very similar. We're very small, very naturalistic. You know, we massaged the dialogue, so it sounds like we've said it for the first time. Just, you know, just just wanted to make it authentic, believable, real. My style of acting is I'm, I, I, I you know it it, it is a skill." to make a line that you say 50 times sound like you've said it for the first time. Um, and he's very much, very much the same. I was lucky to, to, to have him opposite me and, and likewise.
1: Azuka Hoyle is fantastic as Chloe and it's such an important part of the heart of the film. And she has so much going on in her eyes. What was it like developing that chemistry with her for those scenes that are really at the center of the film and are really kind of why it all works?
3: Well, let me say something to you. You you are a very switched on guy. I'm going to say that for the third time. No one's picked up on her eyes apart from you. Really? Yeah. I've done a thousand interviews. You're the first person to mention it. Because her, her eyes are the same color as mine. And we met, we met, we met a lot of actresses. A lot of girls went on tape. And we got it down to six. And she, I think she came in fourth. And someone said to me, "Oh God, look at look, you! Have you seen the colour of eyes?" I said, "Forget that. We can't be giving it to someone because we've got the fucking same colour eyes. It's not happening." Anyway, she came in, and we—her her recall was for me and her. We did two scenes on camera, and she was just—she made me cry in the audition because she was so real. And she went out and they played it back and they were like, oh my God. And I went fucking hell with the jackpot and she's got green eyes. <laughs> <laughs> it was a massive bonus that really came to fruition when we were filming because you half buy it that she could, she could have been my daughter quite easily.
1: And she's got so much emotion in those eyes as well that, that do bring out the tears, man. It really does.
3: She's such an actress. She's one of them people who pops onto a film for three days and nicks it. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? She was so good. And, you know, they were my toughest scenes uh, with her because, don't get me wrong, I can do the fighting and the shooting and the the, the swearing and the shouting. It's it's easy. Do you know what I mean? But the stuff I really care about was getting that sensibility, that very fine line at the end of the film, you know, where – it's so much more upsetting. I mean, if you ever watch anybody, it's so much more upsetting to see someone holding back tears than it is when someone just cries. That was my old train of thought is the fact of it's killing me. It's killing me sitting in this cafe. It's killing me, but I cannot show I I can't do it. And And I think that's what made the scene work because she loses it and I try and keep a lid on it, but she's a phenomenal actor Lovely, lovely, lovely human being. Um, Got a massive future. She's only a baby. and She's got such a big future ahead of her.
1: I mean, she brings out the vulnerability in your character that makes us all fall in love with Betty in the first place, I think, you know?
3: I agree.
2: You've been in quite a few horror films, including Devil's Playground in 2010, White Noise 2, Dead Cert, just to name a few. What are your earliest experiences as a viewer with the genre and some of your favorites?
3: Yeah, I'm a, I'm a massive horror freak as a kid growing up. I mean, don't get me wrong, I loved all of my Lee Marvin, Kurt Douglas, Charles Bronsons. They, they were my idols, Sean Connery's. But I had a real, real, real soft spot for horror as a kid. All the Hammer films, the werewolf movies. I always wanted my, there's two roles I want to play in life. As a personal, personal goal. One is, and they've both been played by Oliver Reed. It's the strangest thing. I always wanted to do, play Bill Sykes in a dark version of of Oliver. And I wanted to play, I don't know if you ever saw The Wolfman, you know, where he did, he played a werewolf, Curse of the Werewolf. And, um... They're two roles that I'd kill to play, but I love horror films. Do you have
1: any specific moments from filming I mean, you filmed some sort of creature films with like Dead Cert, fighting vampires and zombies, obviously, in Devil's Playground. Do you have any moments in particular through your horror genre career that are your favorites?
3: Devil's Playground. Devil's Playground is a quality, quality little film. Bart Ruspoli, who produced the villain, is the producer on it. It's it's a. Uh, it was the first time ever that someone took me, offered me that role and said, you know, it was an acting piece. I play a guy called Carl. He's an ex-mercenary chasing a a girl who may have the antibody in her body to fight the pandemic. And it was the first time that I played uh, a a big, tough character with an Achilles heel who was a little bit vulnerable and could show a little bit of emotion. And it was – and I pulled it off. And I um, I know I pulled it off because the reviews were really solid – and it, it, it sort of opened up that thing of people scratching their heads going, oh, this big this big six-foot-three geezer, he's, he's not a bad actor. <laughs> but it's been such a slog. It's been such a hard journey to get anything of any quality. I've, I've got to be honest with you, it's not been easy. You know, it's like this business. It's so easy to be typecast. There's so many actors, so few quality gigs. It's just ups and downs of the business, you know
1: let's talk quickly about uh, another side of of your performances and that's your voice acting side and showing up in in call of duty modern warfare and and your video game career what is it that ignites you from from doing that work
3: let's do this (laughs) that was my call that was my famous line let's do this that was a job that saved my life. I was in L.A. I was I was there constantly. I was backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, getting leads in TV shows like uh, doing guest stars in Terminator, The Unit, The David Mamet Show. I was working, The Odd Film, and then I got a voiceover agent. Someone said to me, oh, you've got quite an unusual voice in L.A. You should get a voiceover agent. And I ended up getting signed by Vox, and um, I got an audition the next week for this game called call of duty i'm not a gamer at all um i ended up nicking the role and i played gaz in the first one then i did ghost in modern warfare 2 which was the most successful out of all of the call of duty games without a shadow of a doubt then i did number three um college yeah modern warfare 3 um and then modern warfare infinite warfare but i got myself into a lot of trouble because i used i actually bunched Infinity Warfare in with Modern Warfare because not being a gamer um, and I got so much shit and stick from the, <laughs> agents, the lawyers what are you doing giving all the things away and I said oh, no, I'm so sorry <laughs> and, and I, I think they took it to heart because I ended up moving over went over to do Battlefield 5 which is also motion capture and then they recast me in the new, in the new game so they must have Really had the needle, as we say, or the zig. Fuck him, we're not putting him in any more games. Which was a shame, because Activision, Infinity War, they were lovely, lovely people, and I really enjoyed working on the games. And I've got to say this, they saved my life. It was the difference to going to Whole Foods and filling up the basket, the the the, the trolley, than not putting that way. <laughs>
1: Well, Craig, again, thank you so much for joining us. And we encourage everybody to go and get Villain on VOD and digital now. It will blow your mind. It is a ride worth taking. It will surprise the hell out of you and you will fall in love with Craig's performance.
3: Thank you very much. It's so lovely to hear. Thank you.
5: That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 136. Special thanks to our guest, Craig Fairbrass. You can follow him at Craig Fairbrass on Twitter and check out his new film, Villain, on VOD Now.
1: Also, thanks to the incredible Chrissy Fox for hanging out with us. You can follow her on at Nehi Fox and at Chrissy Fox. that's K-R-S-Y-F-O-X, on Instagram.
2: Please rate us and write us a review on Apple Podcasts if you enjoy what you are hearing. We so appreciate it. Production tracks for this episode provided by Power Man 5000. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying sweet screams.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Anton The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Chen. Chopped and sliced by Trevor Chen. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation. Part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network.
5: Bye.
4: The Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full-cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGTBQ perspective, and creepy. For disturbing and terrifying
0: creepypastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.